Prince Walker, please come to the front desk. This is the RC Roundtable, a casual discussion about all aspects of flying model airplanes. Well, hello everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Fitz Walker, and joining me in my usual cohorts, Lee Ray. Hello. And Terry Dunn. Hi there. Hey guys, you had a good week? So far, so good. Yes. I'm still here. <laughs> Week's not over yet. <laughs> That's true. So, uh, what's on your mind? Well, I can tell you about a quadcopter that I just reviewed. and It had some very interesting features. This is the Unique Breeze 4K, which is a small, I think it's 240 millimeter quadcopter, meant for aerial photography type stuff. And what was really unique about it is that it doesn't have a transmitter. All the control is done through a Wi-Fi link, and there's an app that you put on a phone or a tablet that emulates the, the controls on a regular transmitter. And I guess I'm still not quite sure what to think about it. For the most part, it works, but it's a very different feel when you're controlling that way as opposed to having a physical transmitter in your hands. Well, that's still technically a transmitter. You just well, a, your... actually, a legacy transmitter. Well, there's no there's no feedback. I mean, you don't get this the spring feedback. Right, and that was one of the things I found with this is you don't really know when the controls are centered. I either had to look down or let go of the controls to center them. And so it meant I was looking down at the, the screen more often than I wanted to. It seems like you lose a lot of finesse with something like that. Yeah, you don't really get the, the fine movements. Um, I guess there are some advantages for for people who don't have transmitters already or aren't used to them. You know, most of the world is very familiar with tablets, tablets. Or phones, so it's probably an easy transition for those people, and they don't know what they're missing. But for me, who the guy who's been using these regular transmitters forever, it was a very awkward feeling. So it sounds like it's kind of a dumbed-down quad for the masses kind of thing. For yeah, and I think that's the idea for it. They're advertising it as a uh, kind of an ultimate and selfie tool. Hmm. So. <laughs> In those situations, you would normally use your phone or a selfie stick, something like that. Now you you pop out the, the Breeze 4K and, and use that instead. And part of me thinks that they take the, the act of flying a quad a little bit too casually in that sense, but it's got all the usual warnings of where and how you should fly. So I, I think that there's a little bit of a marketing hype mixed in with reality. So they're sort of turning it into more of an appliance than really a hobby thing. Yeah, like so many quadcopters now, it's part consumer electronics, part hobby. Now, this is a Wi-Fi connection on this thing, I take it, since you're using a cell phone? Right. Wi-Fi is for the controls to the quad and also the video downlink and telemetry back to the tablet. So my first thought is range. Sounds like it has limited range for direct control. Yeah, I don't know what the normal range for Wi-Fi is, but I'd only had one instance where the Wi-Fi actually dropped out. And I don't know, it was maybe 100 feet away from me at that point. And I know there were other times where I flew further away than that and it didn't drop out. Hmm. And there was some latency in the return signal on the video and the telemetry, but actually not too bad. And control-wise, that was all immediate. So I never noticed any lag on that Wi-Fi signal. Now, how is the video? It doesn't look like it has a, a gimbal of any type. How... Right, no gimbal. It does have pitch control, and that's something that you control from the tablet. Uh, mm. But the camera is on dampers, and so it's actually pretty good. It's stabilized quite well. You don't get the jello effect. And also, at 4K, you don't get any stabilization, but it has lower resolutions, 1080p and 720p. And in those settings, it uses a digital stabilization. And what I guess is, it's just cropping that image on the sensor and moves it around yeah. to, to stabilize. It works pretty well. I was surprised with that. Hmm. The, the 4K stuff tended to be a little bit shaky, but the 1080p was surprisingly good. 
Now, how well did the, those follow and orbit modes and whatnot work that you, in your experience? Um, for the most part, they they did exactly what they said they should. Um, the follow mode, you select something that's on the screen, and it somehow picks it up and stays with that. The only time that it didn't do exactly what I thought is I had selected myself as the thing to follow, and I walked behind another person, and as I walked by them, it picked them up and started following them. Huh. But, did you but, did you try, like, jumping in your car and say, follow me now, sucker, ha, 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 drive it, like, <laughs> no, it's, 50 miles uh, an hour or something? It's optical-based, so I think there are some other ones that are GPS-based that read the GPS signals on the transmitter, but this is not that. Oh. And, and that's dumb anyway. Huh. Optical-based. Optical? I mean, it looks at you? Yeah, it's doing something with the the camera image. It's got image recognition? What, yeah. Object whatever recognition? contrast it's picking up there, that's what it's following. You have my interest. Interesting. Yeah. What if you could strap your phone to another airplane and have it follow another airplane or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not a very fast quad. It's, well. it's quite sedate. So I, I think any attempt to use it beyond its intended purpose of, you know, near range, taking pictures of the operator type stuff, you're probably going to be disappointed. Hmm. It has a very specific set of uh, capabilities, which it does pretty well, but it's not, it doesn't have any sport quad flying capabilities and it's not fast. So it's just, it is what it is. And I wouldn't try to make more out of it. Okay. Well, the prosecution now rests. (laughs) Lee, have, you have any thoughts on it? I do. I have a couple of questions, Terry. I've got small little fat fingers, so did you try using it both on a tablet and a smartphone? I did. And on my phone, it man, those little joystick controls are tiny, so I had more trouble there. Now, there's another option where for roll and pitch, you hold down a button and you tilt the phone or tablet, whichever way, you still have throttle and yaw on the little emulated controller, but you're physically tilting the controller. That made things a little bit easier, except when you do that, it's not proportional anymore. It becomes bang-bang controls. Do they offer an option for a manual controller? Nope. That's it. So you would definitely recommend a tablet, though? Something. Yeah, in terms of ease of use... The difference was I used my iPhone 5-something, which is, by today's standards, not that big of a phone. I don't know if using a bigger phone or a smaller tablet would be a happy medium. But I used a full-size iPad and then a smaller iPhone. And the differences were pretty significant in terms of how accessible the, the gimbals were, the emulated gimbals. My other question was, uh, you mentioned that there were some range uh, situations, not many, but if you if you lose your range, if it recognizes that the Wi-Fi is not getting a signal back, does it do an automatic return to home, or does it just stop and hover? The way it's programmed is, if it loses the Wi-Fi signal, the transmitter tells you that the link is stopped, and then the quad pauses for 30 seconds where it's at, and if it doesn't reacquire the Wi-Fi within 30 seconds, it initiates return to home. And then when it comes home, it hovers there. I don't know what the time limit is, but it hovers there for a while trying to reacquire Wi-Fi. And so the one time that I had that connection broken, it did trigger return to home. And then not long after it was hovering in front of me, it reacquired and I went off about my business again. Hmm. So you may have, I know that there was a problem with like iPhones a long time ago with the antenna where if you had your hand over a certain area, the signal was blocked. Mm-hmm. I wonder if your you know position of your hands on an on an iPad or some type of tablet, you know, also causes that signal loss. Something you might want to make sure you tell people. Like if you know that's I mean to me losing a signal on a device that's flying with you know several blades spinning at a high RPM. <laughs> exactly, and that was part of my concern that not so much the tablets are bad transmitters but there's so many variables out there with what people do with theirs that it seems like an inconsistent method to choose 
for instance, I had mine in a little cover the first time, and I had it out in the sun, and it started overheating. I actually had my iPad go into heat shutdown mode while the quad was flying, and that was a little bit scary. Um, so I just imagine that there's all sorts of tablets in all different conditions and situations that how do they account for all that to make sure that they're getting a reliable signal? Well, the answer is I don't know. What's the price on that thing? 500 bucks. So they're not giving them away. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how well it does in the market. It yeah, it or... seems to be um, you know, targeted. I think they're selling them at Best Buy and, and those types of places. So I mean, it's not really a hobby item. Mm. I, don't know, I just yeah, oh. I don't know. You know, see, Christmas is coming up, so I guess it's the perfect time to market something like that. I suppose. I just hope people use them wisely. Of course they're not. <laughs> oh, did I mention it has folding props? Well, neat. Yeah. I'd, so you, like, stick I'd it get, in a backpack or something? something? Yeah, and I think that's the point, just to lower the footprint. It comes in a little plastic case, hmm. which is pretty handy. And it comes with two batteries, so that plastic case fits the quad, the two batteries... And some spare blades. It's a pretty handy to just throw it in the back of the car. Hmm. So that's all. It was a neat little thing, and I, I think the. Well, I wonder if there's a precedent being set here for using Wi-Fi in tablets, either that it's a good idea or a bad idea. Maybe for specific cases. I think for something that you just want to fly around you and take selfies, it's it's perfectly fine. But I don't think you're going to really get any range out of it. Which may be, in the, in the long run, a good thing. Because if, if you're limited to Wi-Fi, you're limited, pretty limited in range. And you're not going to be flying around with real airplanes and in the, in the, in the, above 500 feet and that kind of stuff. So it's sort of self-limiting. Okay, so it's kind of a self-limiting thing, you think? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And now that you mention it, I remember the Parrot Bebop uses Wi-Fi. And they might have options that are tablet-only control, but the version that I had used their Sky Controller, which is still a Wi-Fi link, but it's through a physical transmitter-like thing. And I never had any issues with that one. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Cool beans. Yeah. Well, as I say, now for something completely different. I think uh, let's talk about tanks. And not the... uh, the kind that hold fish, but the kind that you obliterate your enemy with. <laughs> uh, I see Tamiya has a new RC tank, the 116 scale Gen Panzer, uh, Jack Panzer 4 tank destroyer. This is one of those things that has a big gun and no turret, and don't get in front of the boomstick, or it'll be the last thing you ever see. And a uh, pricey little bugger, isn't it? Aren't all Tamiya things kind of pricey? Well, that's true, yeah. The Y in Tamiya means yen, and lots of it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, Tamiya has a, if you're not familiar with it, the Tamiya tanks, they have a whole line of these RC tanks, and these things are works of art. Uh, they, they, on a outside, uh, they're very scale, and, and which I guess commands the price for these kind of things, because they normally have independent suspensions and working uh, parts and turrets, and, and it's basically you take a scale model, Blow it up, add some motors and gears and RC uh, equipment for it, and off you go. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen one in the flesh. I think I've seen one or two. I've always kind of secretly desired one myself, but they're way out of my price range. Uh, and you can even get little uh, sensors and uh, LED lights you can drive around and shoot at other people, and they'll, it'll affect your tank in different ways. Well, they have those little, I don't know if they're toy-grade, but smaller tanks, and you buy them in sets, then you can do infrared battles. Yeah. I know yeah. they don't have quite the scale detail of what you're talking about, but there's turnkey operations for that. Yeah, and I have a little one, too. I bought, like, at a gas station or something. Me and uh, <laughs> Jeff and I, we bought these two little little tiny tank things and drove them around and shot at each other. And they were not, actually not too bad for the price. It sounds funny. Yeah, yeah I bought it at the stopping shop, but... Uh, or stop and go, whatever you want to call it. But um, stop uh, and rob. Stop and rob. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, to answer your question, I've never had one of the Tamiya tanks, but I do have the Kyosho Blizzard, which is a a tracked vehicle, but it's a snowplow. 
Mm. And that's pretty cool. And I think like the Tamiya stuff, it's been around forever, but yeah. they keep updating it with new stuff. And strangely enough, uh, based on our last conversation, my version of the Blizzard uses Wi-Fi control through the phone. Hmm. I know they've had other versions that use more standard two-stick radios. Oh, wow. So anyway, it's very neat. Nothing will stop it. Yeah, that's the nice thing about a tank. And uh, I've, ever since I was a kid, I always wanted a tank. And I actually ended up eventually getting one. I actually, I bought a plastic model, roughly the same scale, I think, one sixteen scale of a um, Jag Panther which is similar to the Jack Panzer, but this is in the sense that it's a tank destroyer, but this one's cooler looking and a bigger gun. And I, it was a motorized tank from uh, Academy, I believe, or Minicraft. It's a Korean company. And I built my own electronics so I can make it rail controlled, so I can drive around uh, without the... And I paid, you know, a fraction of the cost what the Tamiya does, but it took some... Uh, intrepidity on my part to build electronics and that kind of stuff to put to make it RC, but it is really nice and it's kind of neat to drive the thing around. Although mine has a problem with the tracks don't always stay on all that well. <laughs> it's got these kind of cheap rubber tracks, and that's one thing. The Tamiya's have much much better tracks. These things have individual links and it works works of art. What about you, Lee? What's your experience with tracked vehicles? Uh. I've never had a tank, but uh, over at uh, Bomber Field, they have a huge little tank display there. And I don't know what they were running, but I mean, looking at the price of these things, I don't know. <laughs> I could buy a couple of planes for the price of one of these tanks. Oh, yeah, I've been there when they were running those. And those things are huge that they're using. Um, I, I, I don't know what the proper scale is, but they're, they're you know. I think they're bigger than the standard 35th scale for armor. Yeah, thirty. Have you seen them out there, Fitz? Uh, I know the, the the area. I don't remember ever seeing them. I might have, but I just don't remember. Yeah, um, I say they're pretty big. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're much bigger than a regular thirty fifth. I mean, even this one sixteenth is twice the size of a thirty fifth scale. Uh, so, well, the ones I've seen, I don't think were much bigger than you know three feet in length. Oh, that's even bigger. That makes yeah, that's huge. Yeah, yeah. Well, just, <laughs> that's a monster. <laughs> well, well, three feet. I mean, yeah, but I'm just saying. I think the ones I saw were maybe two feet, and uh, you know, they had sound boxes, and they were doing a little, uh, as uh, Terry mentioned, infrared fighting. I think, and little lights mm. that go off if they got hit. Are even the big ones doing infrared? It just seems like that would Probably. be a very short range uh, way to do, it, especially out in the sun. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Whatever they were no, using. not necessarily. Remember the old laser tag games were pretty. Those were infrared, and that's a decent range on them. Okay. But uh, Lee kind of touched on one other thing: is is a lot of times these guys go for realism, and they'll have sampled, really sampled engine sounds from the actual tank, and so they'll have a startup sound, a running sound, an idle sound. I mean, really, really nice sounding uh, sound modules in these things as well. Yeah, like when the turret's moving, the the engine will still be running, and then you'll hear the little yeah, the, yeah. So <laughs> yes. they they get pretty in there, and you know, Bomber's got a pretty good setup. I, I again, I don't know of any other places that do it, but Bomber's is permanent, and it's I don't know, it's a good hundred feet, maybe. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's big. big, and it's set up. I don't know how you would describe it, like a bombed out French city or something. Yeah, I remember the yeah, bridges like and rubble and yeah, they, buildings. Yeah, and off to the side they have a little workshop. So, you know, people can go in there and fix them and go back. So I always forget about that. Maybe next time I go up, I'll bring one of my, my tank with me and just drive around a little bit, just for giggles. Okay, I pulled up something here. There is a, uh, it was last weekend, Texas Armor Association tack bat, Tank Battles. Hmm. So, I'm assuming it's called Texas Armor Association. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of organizations all around the country for this kind of stuff. Well, I'm mentioning the one at Bomber. And uh, I, I see a video here, too, so uh, maybe we can show a link of the facility. Yeah, and if you're curious, Tamiya has a whole line of these tanks. They don't just have this one tank. They have the classic tanks like Shermans and Tigers and even a few modern tanks. Are the RC ones 35th scale? No, they're all big, like 116th scale. Okay, 16th. It's tough to get. You can get a 135th scale. In fact, I, I converted one to... Tamiya made a line of 135th scales that were remote controlled in which they had wires running out the back to this little controller that had a couple of batteries in it. And so it had the drivetrain and the motors and you can drive around and just wasn't radio controlled. So those, I've actually took one and converted it to radio controlled. So it was a little 
35th scale that I could drive around in the carpet. Cool. Now, I assume that the Tamiya ones are like the Kyosho one, where there are two motors, and one motor drives each track, and it just uses differential thrust. Yeah, exactly, yep. Okay. Basically like the real tanks. Yeah, but most of them had just one engine, so well, right. complexity yeah. in the transmission <laughs> they did with that. I'm sorry, yes, yeah. Two motors, two separate drivetrains, and yeah, independent tank steering. Yeah. Okay, so we can update our, our site or the podcast link, but I just, it's called Texas Armor, the group that's out at Barmer Field. And it I, sounds like a Renaissance Fair kind of thing. <laughs> it, did, it kind of looks like that when you see the setup there. But uh, no. I also sent a video, so y'all can we can post that on the website and let people see that. But uh, well, they actually have a couple of cameras on the tanks too, so yeah, you, you can be there. Yeah, sounds like fun. Well, on that note, uh, let's take a break and we'll be right back. So this past weekend, I went over to Monteville, Texas for their annual B-17 and Big Bird fly-in at uh, Bomber Field USA. It's, it's an event I try to go to every year right before best. And uh, when I first started going out there as a kid, um, I think I went out one time with my dad. Uh, anyway, so I think this is the, the 27th year they've been doing it. B.B. Uh, Weber, wow. the gentleman who owned the land and built the the club uh, is a big fan of the B-17s, and great event. Uh, I've flown a couple of times, but uh, the requirements are, you know, you have to have a big plane, and I only have uh, one or two that, that qualify. So this year, I just brought all my camera gear, my video gear. So you have to have three big planes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one plane. My Pawnee actually qualifies because it's a scale with at least an 80-inch wingspan, but uh, they they frown upon electric <laughs> planes out there. Oh, that's the best reason to take them. <laughs> yeah, I, not that they frown. I mean, there were a couple of there. Were, oh, there was a beautiful electric plane. Um, uh, not this. Jeez, uh, now you've stumped me. Uh, there was one large, large scale plane. It must have been a hundred inch wingspan that uh, a civilian can aircraft. You, can you describe it? Um, it's got a, a twin tail. It's always a single, uh, fuselage tail, but it, you know, spans out to two fins. Oh, like an air coop? Air coop. Thank you. Um, hmm. so the air coop was gorgeous. I have some pretty good, uh, pics and video of that. I, I took a lot of pictures this year. In fact, uh, <laughs> kind of sad. I just realized it after I made the promo video for him. I did all my photos of the B-17s and didn't do any video. So the promo for the B-17 fly-in has no B-17s, <laughs> at least flying. Uh, so this is the B-17 fly-in. What's the other one that you went to over the summer? That was a Warbird event that they have. It's okay. it's it's popular. There are a lot of people that come out there. There's a big group from Austin that attends. Uh, this one's got 80-plus pilots. And as you can see through the photos and the video, there's a lot of planes there, a lot of neat things. Now, Very- that's... This always confused me. Is there really a distinction between the B-17 flying and the Warbird flying? Because they're really both Warbird flyings. Well, interesting you say that because uh, Barry, the president, had mentioned that next year they're really going to push the bomber aspect of the event. Uh, they really want to have more bomber aircraft out there. Now, I don't think they're pushing away the, the great guys from Austin who bring their P-51s. But he's hoping that uh, more people will come out and try to bring... Bomber what about electric P fifty ones? Yes. Wow, that would really ruffle their feathers. Um, no, I think there. I mean, I, I think I saw maybe one B twenty five there, and I don't think it flew, which is interesting because I know they had one a couple years ago that I really liked. That thing flew great. So, uh, you know, Mike Label was there with his B twenty four. That went well. We had a couple of couple of crashes. We had a, a midair that was spectacular. I got the tail end of it in my, my footage, but unfortunately, Mike did lose uh, his... Uh, it was a sped. His bad, yeah. Yeah, that was the one you can... That was the one with the engine running you could hear coming down. Yeah. He <laughs> sent me an email the other day saying that he's going to rebuild it. The damage was not that bad. Great. 
Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I actually talked to him yesterday, and he's uh, making good progress on rebuilding it. So he's going to completely rebuild the whole thing. And, yeah, that's uh, a plane that was scratch built by his father, and he said if you know if there was any chance of rebuilding it, he was going to. And he said it's really it's doable. Yeah, he's already started. Yeah, but the DR one that was on the other end of the crash, he said, was toothpicks. Well, speaking of crashing and rebuilding, this also uh, brings up Fuddy Duddy, because Randy. Uh, who we had on before, who had a beautiful uh, large B-17, crashed it at the Warbird event. And this year, there were two B-17s that crashed. Uh, one was actually a Fuddy Duddy. I'm not sure if the other one was or if it just didn't have uh, the name on it. it. It was just yellow and silver. But uh, we lost two B-17s at this event, too. And... Uh, Randy has informed me and has sent me a couple of pics that he's rebuilding Fuddy Daddy and we'll have it ready for Bomber next year. Yeah, we can rebuild him. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. <laughs> Was Fuddy Daddy a famous full-scale B-17 or something? Yes. Ah, okay. That explains why there's more than one. And I believe they actually still have a flying Fuddy Daddy. A full-scale. For reals? Yeah, for reals. Check that out. Yeah, Bomber was great. Got a lot of pictures. They're online. We'll have our links here, but you can just look up Bomber Field on YouTube to see their promo video or go to my uh, Lee Ray Photography Facebook page and see the 400 plus photos I put on out of the. Yeah, nice work on those, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. That one B 17 that you caught crash landing was a very nice series of photos. The one bad event. <laughs> where it turned into a pusher engine? Yes. <laughs> the, one of the engines came off the front and it rolled itself all the way back under the wing. And one of the stills looks like it's a, it's mounted to the back of the wing. So. Sure. <laughs> yeah, kind of tore stuff up along the way, it looks like. Mm. Well, great guys out there at Bomber. Uh, really enjoyed hanging out there. Uh, RC Universe was out there, so they, they got some promotion through them as well. Mm. And again, some great airplanes. And I, I want to do a little plug-in for one of my club members, Jay McGuire. Uh, is this beautiful scale builder who has two World War One aircraft out there. And I'll tell you, he, he won an award for his craftsmanship. It was beautiful, but people were just abuzz about his work. And he flew both planes, too, and it's spectacular. So definitely look at some of the pictures of these uh, these aircraft. The Curtis was Curtis won, was the one that won the award, but... It was at the, the Curtis Pusher? Yes. I saw, yeah, I noticed that. I was really excited what to see What kind that. of engine was he using on that? It was electric, but I'll tell you what was neat. Oh, okay. What was neat for me is that my brother was looking at the pictures, and he goes, what impressed me most about this kit was that I saw no electronics, no modern electronics in this. No push rods, no servos, no wires, antennas, yada. He just said, this gentleman built the plane so everything was hidden and it looked natural. And... uh it is. It's it's gorgeous. So again, really nice, lots of yeah. talent out there too. Now they put Garfield in the cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh. Now the Curtis was a pre World War One. That's like a Pioneer of Flight yeah. kind of thing. Like O nine or something. Something like that. Yeah, really, yeah. really early. Uh, yeah, the, the a, award. I apologize. The award is pre World War One. So. Oh wow! It's rare to have any of those models at an event, much less enough to justify an award. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. Well, speaking of crashed planes, uh, Terry, I understand you had a search and rescue using a quad for one of your fellow club members. That's right. Tell I us finally about that? used a, a multi-rotor for good. For, for I was, good and justice in the world? Right. So we're uh, changing the, the image. Basically, the, one of the fields I go to here is bordered on two sides by uh, farmland, and... I don't know what this crop is. Some people said it was a kind of corn, but I didn't see any corn things on it. But it's six foot tall, very thick stuff. If I had to equate it to anything, it's like bamboo. So a friend of mine had this top flight 60 size P-51, which is a pretty sizable plane. It's about nine pounds and I think 65 inch wingspan. And he had a dead engine and didn't make it to the runway. He went into this crop. And it wasn't that far from the runway. It wasn't that deep. And so we went looking for it on foot. And 
as soon as you step past that first row of plants, you get lost. You can't see a foot on either side of you, and you can't tell where you're going. So after about an hour of us tromping around on these fields, we kind of gave up. So I had brought my one of my quadcopters. It's the Autel Robotics X-Star. And I thought, well, I'll send that up, and that'll give us a better view. So I did that. The problem is the way the sun was, and there's a little bit of lag in the downlink of the video, and the video is not full resolution. Doing that, we couldn't see it real time. But I was shooting in 4K resolution. I got home and uploaded that video, and almost right away, I could find it. And so I went back the next morning, found the plane, and pulled it out of there. And it had zero damage to it. Wow. That tells you how soft and cushy the that plant was. The cornfield. <laughs> when, yeah. when you sent me that photo, I was I made the comment that, thank goodness for invasion stripes. Oh, yeah. That's the only thing that set it apart. And I think a lot of lucky things happened for this to to come together. As I was starting this flight, I just kind of went over a random spot in the field where I thought it might be, and I had the camera pointing forward to get my bearings and kind of calibrate. And then when I was ready to start looking, I put the camera straight down. And that first spot I picked happened to be right over the airplane. So I had a good location fix, and I didn't have to search around. Even, Even with that, I had to spend about 15 minutes the next day with the, a printout of that photo trying to get to that spot. Once you found it, did you hold it for ransom? <laughs> no, I was a nice guy. Oh, you should have sent them like little notes made out of letters from various publications. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you know what's good Let's for send you. Send them a piece at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The horizontal stab. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, and it's a good thing we found it because I went back to that field yesterday and they were harvesting it. Oh. And I can't imagine what going through a, a combine would do. It wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be much left. And hopefully it wouldn't mess up the combine. Uh, I imagine they're pretty stout things, aren't they? I guess. I don't know. We had, uh, in our field, they frequently harvest it for hay because it grows up. And uh, we had a guy lose his plane out, but he told the guy, he said, hey, if you see a plane, just let me know. And lo and behold, he did. He found, the harvester guy found the plane before oh, chewing, wow. before uh, Cuisinarting it and returned it to the uh, owner. The harvester found a lipo that I flung one time. <laughs> Unintentionally found it. If I remember right. the story. And th- thank goodness this was on a Saturday and some other people were out there flying. But I had flown the weekend before and I guess I didn't Velcro my battery in well. And a lipo flew out and went into that field. And I looked for it forever and couldn't find it. Well, that's because your Velcro was backwards. That, that's true. If only I'd listened to Lee. Uh, but anyhow, and then I got the story the next week that some guys were out flying, and then as the combine went by, right? Is that the right word? Is that a combine that harvests? Uh, I don't I have no idea. Okay, a tractor. So we're all equally, a tractor with spinny bits. Yes. Um, it went by, and then they saw fire in the field. So apparently, it had found my battery and set it ablaze. But the guys there went and took care of it. Thank goodness. Oh, <laughs> we found it all right. Yeah, all right. Well, anyway, as the tagline to my story about finding this airplane, the guy who owns the airplane is now like, hmm, maybe I should have one of these. As you can see where it's very handy now. So there are practical applications for these things. Yeah, Lee. I never <laughs> said... What? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you know that... The first thing I did with the quad that Terry sent me was fly up to my roof to see how, if my uh, drain spout was clogged. No, the first thing you did was break it. <laughs> okay, no, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Moving on. Anyways. <laughs> I don't know, that sounds like a business application to me. Do you have your part 107 yet? Oh. <laughs> I got to learn all about G airspace and restricted zones and and what's the one that people like, gosh I know I'm going to strange territory here but there was this 
huge dis- discussion on the part 107 thread about uh, uh, oxygen deprivation. And <laughs> I'm not kidding. You. It's on the questions. You know, for the pilot. Yeah, if you're the pilot, yeah, no, I but kid you. You're not, not in the thing. <laughs> Unless you're this, flying from the Himalayas or something. <laughs> well, maybe we can bring this up in another podcast. But it, there was a lot of conversation about this question on the test about hypoxia. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure a lot of people were wondering why you needed to know that. But sure enough, it was on there. It was on the the test, and some people were not either getting it correctly, the answer wasn't correct, or they were just questioning why you needed to know. So, Interesting. So speaking of hypoxia, have <laughs> either of you ever been in an altitude chamber? Uh, no. No. Uh, have you? It's kind of, yeah, I got to do the one at NASA as part of my job. Um, it's enlightening, I'll tell you that. <laughs> part of my job. Okay, so, sir, <laughs> one of the requirements we have for you to work here is we stick you in a room and we take the oxygen out. You okay with that? <laughs> That's pretty much it. It's a stress, <laughs> is it a stress test? Um, well, no, the point of the training is so that you recognize your own symptoms of hypoxia because it's unique to most people. Um, so they want you to know and recognize before it's too late, before you pass out on the floor. So what was your unique reaction to hypoxia? Yeah, did you um, see the cute fuzzy bears before in bunnies? <laughs> no, I don't remember. They give you this worksheet, the very simple questions, you know, what's your name, what's two plus two, that kind of stuff. And you're supposed to work down that after you take your oxygen mask off. And gosh, I don't remember. I think I ended up getting a headache. And I think I was in denial about any other real symptoms. And they only let this go on for a few minutes, like less than five. So I didn't get crazy or loopy, although some people did. Um, so I don't know how effective it was for me. If I ever encounter hypoxia, I don't know if it, if my symptoms are stark enough for me to recognize it. I'll probably end up on the floor. Um, <laughs> but it was a fun experience. Yeah, that actually is something that they, they really try to teach for real pilots that are flying real airplanes is to identify the signs of hypoxia. And there are, there's supposedly three or four telltale signs that you're suffering from hypoxia. So, but anyways, Well, the FAA thinks it's, a, it's important for you to know if you fly a, a, a drone that you understand what hypoxia is. For, for, for a little troll that sits inside pushing the buttons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My speed controllers are suffering from hypoxia. There you go. Uh, okay, whatever. Anyways. How did we get on that? Uh, you were wow. asking me about 107. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got Leahized. <laughs> it was me. Or we, no, I prefer to say we got Raid. But raid, I, that's, yeah, I was thinking that too. It's better. But it's what I liked raid. is that this was so unprepared, and I liked that Terry jumped in and mentioned that he had to go take a, a hypoxia test. You <laughs> <laughs> it sound like a drug test or something. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> you hear that you uh, are into hypoxia, sir. <laughs> are you into hypoxia? <laughs> <laughs> Only on the weekends. It's a cheap drunk, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's not an OTC, right? <laughs> hey, man, you know where I can score some hypoxia? <laughs> Side effects may include. <laughs> anyway, anyways, so the, the AMA is having elections coming up, and I, I guess no. it's a bit, yeah, for president. Yeah, it's going to be huge. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, it sounds like maybe this election is uh, as dramatized as. Well, maybe not as dramatized in terms of the AMA. It's more drama than I recall. Yeah, quite a bit of drama, I think, right? I get, any is more than I recall. Well, that's true. Yeah, usually it goes by and it's like there was an election. But uh, this you time... You get the card, you check the box, you send it in. Yeah, but apparently there's a bit of a kerfuffle in, on the ballot this year, if I understand correctly. Kerfuffle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the kerfuffle. He has a, a word of the day calendar. He will not let it go to waste. I don't know. Who knows the most about this? Gosh. Um, well, I don't think there's much to say other than that there's a write-in candidate now. Yeah. The, I, uh... I'm not prepared to actually endorse any of the people on the ballot just because uh, I don't know enough about them. But I just think the fact that there's a write-in campaign going on is unique enough to mention. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty well-known person in the, in the scale modeling community. And I, 
was kind of surprised. I, I don't know anything about him other than his prominence in this particular community, so I can't say anything for or against him. But uh, it's interesting that uh, he apparently didn't make the ballot through normal means, and there's apparently a big write-in campaign for him. Uh, I've seen him posted in various places. You're talking about Frank Tiano? Yes. Yeah, okay. So I learned about this yesterday, and I had already sent in my ballot, so it doesn't apply to me. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that, um, A, that he didn't make it on the ballot, and B, that now there's uh, this grassroots campaign to do a write-in for Frank as president of the AMA. Hmm. So I, I read his platform statement. I guess you could call it that. It's just kind of his summary of things. And I found some things that I agree with, things that I disagree with. So, I don't know. I think it's worth mentioning for people to get out there and check it out before they submit their card in case that's something they want to consider. Yeah, do your research. Uh, how long do they have until the, the deadline to send the ballot in? That's a good question. I thought it was early November. But okay. I could be making that up. Am I right in um, reading this correctly? Is every candidate on the ballot someone who's never been on the board of the AMA? Isn't Rich Hansen part of it now? I thought Dave was the executive. Is Rich on there? Rich is part of the AMA home team now. He was their government advocacy guy, right? Okay, but but uh, he's but he wasn't in the exact. I mean, he's a he holds that position, and I know that the other two guys are like district guys, but he's not like president or vice president. So the president is Bob Brown, executive vice president is Gary Fitch, executive director is Dave Matthewson. So Bob Brown is the person being replaced. Okay, but the other two are not moving up. So the, the one the the. The people who are taking president are not the two directly below the president. So they're not running for president. They're totally new people is what you're saying. That's what I meant to say. So make that blurb. Totally new people are running for president. And Frank Frank's situation was that I guess he was late submitting his paperwork. I thought I heard some controversy about that, if it was done correctly or or something to that effect. I think the, the, the general knowledge is that it was late, getting there late. Um, and I will tell you, his name has been in buzz with not only some Facebook groups that I visit, but at, uh, at Bomber, you know, there was some talk about Frank, uh, mainly I think because there's a couple of pilots there who have attend Top Gun, which is Frank's baby. And they had a lot of good things to say about him. And so this yeah, is, I don't know him personally, but, um, we have mutual friends and, I've never heard anyone speak ill of him. Yeah. I believe he has a column in Model Airplane News, I think. Uh, he's written for numerous magazines, yeah. but I couldn't tell you about it. I think he had a consistent column in Model Airplane News. Well, one thing I was hoping to bring to this podcast with this discussion is make listeners aware that this is a year to to do your research. I mean, I, I am going to admit I've been a member of the AMA for a long time, since the 80s. And most of the time I have skipped voting in the ballot because I have just not done it. So me bad. But I guess with the elections this year, more people are starting to, to take notice of, you know, who is going to be running the, the business for us. And uh, I don't think I have any negative things to say about the people who are running at all. But I do want to read more uh, into their bios and to their little, uh, what do they call them, the, the introduction speeches or why I should be running for president. Platform. Their platform. Their platform. Thank you. And, uh, you know, then make my decision. And Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, this, because of the, the, the FAA uh, intrusion onto our hobby, so to speak, I think it's very important to choose wisely, as they say, in, in your voting, and, and encourage everybody to vote for AMA president, so there's someone who can at least take a proactive role in dealing with the issues. Yeah, so we're not endorsing any person, but I think we're advocating that people do some research and get involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on a lighter note, we have a 
another flying that we're all getting ready to go up to. Woohoo! Yeah, the one we always talk. About. I know the one we always talk about. talk about now. The one nobody knows about. <laughs> <laughs> right, the one that's only uh, on the radar of Texas people. Yeah, I apologize if you're not anywhere near Texas and you're like, "What the hell are they talking about?" We've had guys from other states come in. Come on, there's an award for the the farthest distance travel. Yeah, Dallas. <laughs> I, the last time I went, a guy from Lubbock won that award. No, really? we had a guy from Denver one time, and then the... He was just lost. <laughs> that one time. He was going to California and went the wrong way. <laughs> well, look, when they're giving out the award for distance most traveled, I'm not really paying attention. <laughs> okay? That's not the award I'm looking for. Well, that said, this is probably the best all-electric fly-in in Texas, I would say. No pun intended. No pun intended. And so what are we talking about? Best Electrics in South Texas. Yes. Correct. What are the dates for this event? This coming weekend. Not next weekend. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> People pl- don't know what that is. <laughs> Somebody listened to us in January. Right. Oh, really? All right. <laughs> well, Where'd everybody it's funny, go? It's funny you mentioned it because I was talking about that with about Car Talk. Car Talk never talks dates or, uh, in their show. So every time, because they, you know, they're, they're rebroadcasting it. So every time I listen to it, it sounds new. <laughs> so, um, but it's October 1st and 2nd in New Waverly, Texas at Tri-County Barnstormers. All this information will be available on our website. And I'm sure and New Waverly is what about a half hour north of Houston on 45. It's like 52 miles north of Houston. I... And when you say north, that's like north of downtown, the courthouse. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, Houston okay. is huge. Indeed. And it is. some miles south of Dallas. <laughs> Lots. <laughs> off of directly off of 45. It's. Uh... Well, I think that's one of the reasons it's been a popular event because it is kind of a midway point for the Houston guys and the Dallas guys. So that's it draws true. from both regions pretty well. Yeah, a lot of guys come down from the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. And it's, it's it's for me it's neat to see them because I used to live up there, so there's a lot of familiar faces that come down and play once a year sort of a reunion right. with a lot of these guys. So it's, it's a but it's just a, it's a fantastic field. They got a new paved runway this year, which I have not seen. I have. <laughs> well, tell I'm, us about it, man. Is it, is it? Does it taste good and smell good? Oh, and feel good? you're gonna want to just kneel down and rub your hands all over it. It's really nice. It's a, <laughs> it's extremely nice. And then I wish they could just let us, you know, take a sharpie and put our names on it or something. But uh, oh, wow. it's a really nice concrete runway. They did an excellent job, and I got to fly it at an event they had up there uh, several months ago so super duper nice and of course you know flying off the grass is just a few feet further so everything's you know everything's great out there kirk jensen who's the gentleman who puts this show on huge kudos to this guy he does a great job of getting the word out we have some of the most incredible raffle prizes ever i think and in fact I, some people at bomber were mentioning it because uh, they had heard about the, the raffle prizes out there we had 70 pilots maybe last year, 72 pilots last year. Uh, a lot of us who have been going there for a long time. I've been there. This will be my 13th year, uh, and this is their 14th event. <laughs> so I just missed the inaugural one. Uh, we camp out there, and there's a, it's just a lot of fun. We hang out. Uh, last year, uh, we did a little pizza party. Remember, Fitz? Oh, yeah, yep, yep. So we went and got pizza in a nice store in Willis, Texas, and brought back pizza, and people just hung out. It's just a great group of people, and the club is super nice. Electricity, bathrooms, showers, uh, a kitchen area where they have, um, help me out here, Civil Air Patrol? Yes, Civil Air Patrol. Um, usually Which sponsors makes, food. Uh, they make really good hamburgers there. For some, those kids can do a good do. job. It's, it's a great event, and it's something I look forward to every year. And In fact, I look forward to it the day after the event's over. Uh, and right now I'm in cram mode because I'm trying to get as m- many things ready for the event this year. And this is funny because uh, Fitz has emailed me earlier, but the you always try to do something new at this event. They have some great awards, but the the goal for best for me this year is to bring everything new, bring something I've never brought out before. And I think I've flown almost every aircraft I, I own out there, so... I had to go acquire and, and build new models. So my goal is eight new planes, and I finally have wow, a thunder, a new Thunder and Lightning that's going to be a night flyer. Night flyer Thunder, wow! <laughs> hey, that reminds me, I got to paint my Thunder and Lightning. Just, just get a rattle can. Hopefully, one that doesn't burn through that foam. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
So this will be, I'm planning to go, and this will be my first time, and I've missed the last three. So I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, and don't think we haven't uh, blasted Terry about that every year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's... Now, as, as I understand, we're going to plan to do a recording session while we're all there together. Yeah, next week. A very special episode. Yeah, yeah. maybe while we're eating pizza. We'll sit around that table and <laughs> do a big speakerphone, get some other people involved. <laughs> hey, and I'd like to point out, that's the place where I met Terry Dunn. That's, oh, how, that's how I got to know you, Terry. You came up to me and asked me yeah. to photograph... Uh, was it a Stinson? No, you had a little white, white and blue plane. I think you were reviewing. I don't remember. And you had Maybe. that awesome, uh, like ZZ Top, flying car. The shuzzle. <laughs> that's that's the year I met you when you were flying that bad boy. I thought it was over Aerotow. You were Aerotowing with some guy, and I took an interest in. I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure that's when you had that car, that red car, and I sent some pictures to you. Oh, it's very possible. So. And the rest is history. Fitz, I don't know where I met you. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was best. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I met you be through through Terry, though. Yeah, yeah, because Terry and I flew at the same field, so we, we knew each other. Yeah. So what you're trying to say is that I'm the glue that holds this thing together. You are the glue. <laughs> yeah, so don't go all diva on us. Don't sniff. Not me. sure it's super glue. <laughs> oh, ouch! Uh, but I, I, we could, I could go on and on for a long episode on best. But I, I can't wait uh, to to be there next week to to see all my friends. Uh, Keith Sparks. Hopefully, we'll bring something new and exciting, as he usually does. And uh, I'll try to get some photos and video. And uh, Jeff, our friend Jeff, who will be there, uh, hopefully get some more video too, because he had a pretty good video last year. You put together? Oh, he did, yeah. Or did you put that now, together, Fitz, and then just use? I I put it together, and I used some video that Jeff took and some that I took, and okay. compiled them all together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have a nice recording uh, next week. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Next week on a very special RC roundtable. It that is a very special episode. <laughs> Blossom learns that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> So has anyone looked at the long-range forecast? Well, Kirk Jensen sent out an email or a post on RC Groups and said that the 10-day is excellent. And we are just now getting a cold front through. So instead of 98-degree weather, I think it's going to go down to 90. (laughs) All right. Wrap your pipes. Uh, I'm no longer acclimated to that type of temperature and humidity. Speaking of humidity... Speaking of lots of swear words in your workshop. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right segue, but boy, that would definitely lead into mine. One of my models that I'm working on, which I got uh, from a friend, is a JR Models P38. I've mentioned it before in this podcast that I've been working on it. I've been pushing it hard, and I was finally finished with the paint job, looked great, and I was putting my clear coat on uh, outside, dun, 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 and... It looked great, and as I was walking from outside into the workshop, the clear coat fogged up uh, completely. It, it, I had a nice cloud effect on my P38, and I uh, cussed and screamed and kicked and threw things, and I was very upset because uh, it looked really bad and wasn't sure what to do. I had reached out to uh, Keith Sparks, and he had mentioned this is called blushing. I didn't know. I've never had this problem before. I've... I've clear-coated other planes in the past, and maybe I just got lucky, but whatever was happening a couple of days ago here when the lovely Texas humidity uh, killed my plane. So I ended up having to wet sand everything and sand even more the the areas in the wing panels that were really bad. Uh, And yesterday finished the uh, clear coat inside the workshop, so I was in a wonderful daze. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> flying around my workshop room. Uh, better than hypoxia? Oh, I don't know. Uh, that ain't better. It was certainly a headache. Maybe, yeah, maybe it was the, the circumstance. And so it's it's done. It looks really good. I got a little bit of uh, fine sanding to do, but the, the wings are ready. The tail needs to be put on, and she should be ready for best next week. So I'm really looking forward to showing that off. I uh, got my Cali graphic uh, stickers for Honey Bunny to go on to it, so... 
of all the models I'm bringing, that's the one I'm most excited to, to fly at the event. So my horror story is be careful out there when you're spraying. Uh, didn't judge the humidity properly, and that certainly is a, a, a bad thing when it comes to clear coating. But I think I'm, I'm back on the right track. So the bottom line is make sure you always spray paint in small enclosed areas. <laughs> Closet space, <laughs> in the dark. Uh, well, it, you know, it says on the can, and I, I didn't check the humidity level, but it must have been like 110% <laughs> out there because <laughs> uh, it was really bad. But it says I think it's 50 to, 50 to 90 degrees with uh, humidity less than 80%. It is never within those parameters in Houston. Yeah. Literally never. <laughs> so I was wrong. <laughs> they shouldn't even sell spray paint in Houston. Learn from my mistake. Mm-hmm. So is it the humidity that causes blushing? Yes. Warm, okay. humid air, as they say. Does it trap moisture in there or something? Do you, did you find out what it actually is? It's, it's moisture. Okay. Interesting. It's so awful. next time you next time you want to paint your plane, go to Colorado, paint it, and come back. You you don't have to go that far. You can stop halfway and love it. You're loving, yeah. I'm at thirty two hundred feet. Can you create a a paint spray booth for us? You don't need it. <laughs> Just go outside. <laughs> the wind's always blowing about twenty miles an hour. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so I'm sure some people out there who are listening going, well, duh, that's obviously, but I, uh, I've just, I've never had this incident occur to me. So, uh, now I know. Well, I've had my own bit of carnage too, uh, over the past week. So I was out at the field one day and, and a fellow club member comes up to me and says, Hey, you, you're interested in my old, uh, Corsair that I model I have. I've had some bad luck with it. Couldn't really get it to fly very well or had some radio hit issues or something like that. I said, yeah, sure, why not? And he, he, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I got this foam uh, Corsair, roughly 40-inch wingspan. Uh, it's actually got some pretty nice retracts in it with doors and sequencing doors and that kind of stuff. But I don't know who makes it. I couldn't find anything like it in a brief search online. But he's obviously had a rough time with it because I had to re-glue parts of the wing and, and a few bits here and there. Uh, but once I got it all set up, I took it out to fly, and it actually flew pretty good. And I was coming around, and as I was setting up to do a low pass, uh, the motor decided it no longer wanted to be part of the airframe. And it went one way, and the airframe went another way. And I was just barely able to get it under control and sort of belly flop it on the ground. And the fire, the whole firewall just came off the thing. And it was doing this inspection, it... That the way that model was built was just totally inadequate. Whoever designed so, it was it a factory defect or from a poor repair? It was both poor I repair was, or poor insulation. It was under design and it had been it had been repaired and, and the foam was crumbled a little bit from previous crashes, so it was just uh, adding insult to injury. Uh, it was it sort of it. It's hard to describe, but the firewall is sort of an open framework of foam, if that makes any sense. Uh, like webs or something? Uh, sort of like a motor box extended okay. from the front of the fuselage from the fire, from uh, where the battery compartment is. And okay. sort of, you know, normally it's something that's made of balsa wood. It's sort of a framework that extends the, the nose forward for the motor. Uh I'm doing a terrible job describing it. But suffice, photos. We need photos. Suffice to say, they use didn't use enough foam to have a really good support for the motor, is what it comes down to. Uh, and so I ended up, I've repaired it, but I, I, I actually placed in some plywood strengthen, stiffeners and strengtheners and that kind of stuff to make a more sturdy box to mount the firewall to. Unfortunately, the motor... Shaft was bent on the way down, unsurprisingly. So I have another motor in there I put in there. So hopefully this weekend I'll give it another test flight because the airframe actually flew pretty good. Uh, just that it wasn't strong enough. It seems like you had a similar incident with a P-38 a few years back. P-38. Did you crash a P-38? 
That's sacrilegious. coming out. Oh, oh, that was the P38. That was still attached to the firewall. That was my uh, mosquito. Do you have a mosquito? How could you mistake a mosquito and a P38, Terry? No, I. <laughs> well, they both got <laughs> two engines. Challenge oh. fits to think about his P38 because I'm convinced it was that. It was. Uh, it was some some European foam. It was like a Depron almost plane. Although it was very nice on the outside. Although it had some inaccuracies in scale. And I put way too much power into the thing, and so I flew it around at best, as a matter of fact. And one of the motors decided to rip itself away from the mount, but not completely. So it was sitting there dangling below the nacelle as I'm trying to land this thing. Uh, I ended up getting it down okay, but it was pretty funny to see a plane with one motor in and one motor out dangling by the wire. So you have a history of this, because... I'm convinced 100% that you had a P-38. And it sounds like the same thing. It was motors designed for 3S, but you'd put 4S in there. Oh, yeah, that was the other P-38. That didn't come ah. out. <laughs> no. That one didn't come out. It just smoked it. I just burnt the motor out. No, I've got video of the motor coming out. Maybe it was on landing or something. It just fell on the it ground. It may have. Now, I had another plane where the motor came out. <laughs> we're not giving our listeners the idea that we're good pilots or builders. <laughs> they don't want to learn no, just from us. Just I just have problems with motors staying on the airplane. That's all. There's always Nothing, one. No big deal. <laughs> you right, call me like, the sidekick. I think he's the sidekick. But this one wasn't my fault, I swear. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I've had motors fall out. I'm sure I have. It can happen yeah. sometimes. It's not just you. Okay. Thank you. Do you have a crashy Terry? Or yeah, or did you break no, something? Got, this week? I need to to throw it together and put it up there. So um, I'll do that this week. I promise. Before I leave for Houston. Throw what? Crashy smashy. Oh right, right. Yeah, I was wondering when the next video is coming out. Yeah, I've put pretty much the whole thing together. I just need to get the music going on it. And All right. Then well, speaking of, it up on YouTube. Speaking of crashy, smashy, Terry, haven't you crashed something this week? Please say you have so we don't feel left out. <laughs> um, I did. My biggest crash was not an airplane. It was a, mm-hmm. a car. Not a real car, but an RC car. Was it at least flying talk- through the air when it happened? Oh, yes, it was. All right. Um, this is the Nero 6S, which is a big truck that we talked about a while back. Mm. And as the name implies, it uses a 6S battery. And this is a 13-pound RC vehicle. It's by far the biggest and most powerful I've ever had. And frankly, it's kind of scary. Do you have but to get anyhow, a driver's license with the Texas DPS? You really should. You should have to take a test and get a license and a background check before they let you drive this thing. <laughs> you could do some real damage. He's a monster, huh? Yeah, it is. And with the big pinion they give you, they say it'll do 60 miles an hour. I don't know what it's doing with the smaller pinion, but it's as fast as I ever want to go. You can be driving on asphalt at half throttle and punch it, and it'll do a wheelie. It's just crazy. But anywho, I was out at the same flying field where the plane went down in the crop, and I was running around on the runway and the grass, and I was going top speed across the grass and went to cross a sidewalk, not realizing that there was a two-inch lip of sidewalk there, and it caught the front bumper and sent this thing sailing up. And surprisingly, it didn't break. The only thing that it broke was a, a tie rod end, and those are really cheap parts. But uh, it really gouged some of the nylon parts on the bottom, which are sacrificial anyway. So I was done driving it for that day, but the repairs are going to be really easy and cheap. Hmm. So given... What I did to it, I'm impressed with its um, durability. This thing four wheel drive or two wheel drive? Four wheel drive, and this is the one we talked about that has on the fly differential control. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, yeah. And I was amazed how much of a difference it makes on each of those options. Really? So yeah, it makes a big difference in how it performs. I haven't done much with the all locked yet because that's really just for climbing, but um. The other three modes, you can do it where you lock the center diff or the back in the center or the or all three or none of the three. Hmm. And that's all just a little knob on the transmitter. Oh, nice. And, uh, 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. If I get the parts before I leave for Houston, I'll bring it with me. Yeah, I'll bring that sucker. Ooh. I have an idea. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, let's, and to plant that seed, it. hey, Lee, do you still have your Uzi glider? Oh, you were reading my mind. <laughs> you think you can do it? <laughs> I, I, I set up a pulley and everything, oh. so we'll see if it works. <laughs> oh, oh, I yes. still have my Uzi glider, yes. I, will, I think I can do that. I will okay. break we'll my, my rule of the all-new aircraft for this this test project. I, we can call it new. You're doing something new with it. That's true. Yeah. Well, I, I've arrowed arrowed with it before. Well, this what do you what do you call the pulley system now? Uh, it's a, we'll it's a, think of a clever name. It's a car tow. If it works, carnage. No, it's a car tow. Yeah. <laughs> they actually do that with real plane, with real gliders, and uh, usually in Europe, I think they'll pull oh, up yeah. with a car. I used to do it with hang gliders. I used to see that all the time. People would do right. quick hang glide tests. Oh yeah, that. yeah. I'm I'm game. Challenge accepted. All right. All right. It might be a bust, but it sure oh, sounds we're like gonna get a <laughs> it that. bust all right. <laughs> bust up my glider. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, we're going to get video of that no matter what. So. All right. Uh, so that wasn't my only crash. Um, I've got that Tower Ultimate that I've been working on, and I didn't really crash it, but I had a, a flame out with an electric motor. Um, anyway, I had a speed control problem, and I had to dead stick it into the grass, and it was fine. It's... Uh, Actually, didn't have any damage at all, so I've got that going. And a similar problem, I've been flying the E-Flight Sukhoi, and this is on a day when there's some glow-power guys flying, so I didn't hear when I got the low-battery pulses in the motor, and so I put it down in the field. And uh, all it did was rip out one of the elevator hinges, and that's fixed, and it has flown again. So that was my weekend of carnage which wasn't much carnage at all. Not too bad. Yeah. Now redeem myself by saving somebody else's airplane. So all in all, it was a pretty even trade. Good karma. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you got off light. I think so. We'll fix that next week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of karma. (laughs) Well, he's flying. We'll go up and tickle him or something. (laughs) Oh, all right. Well, we all have this best talk. If anybody's uh, listening to this and coming to best, uh, come by, stop by, say hello. And uh, we plan on doing a, a podcast segment out there as well. So maybe you might get a little guest shot. And at any rate, uh, we look forward to talking to anybody, any listeners, and, and have a great old time flying airplanes, hopefully not crashing them, and keeping the motors on their firewalls. And, and with that, uh, we leave you with this episode, and we'll see you next time. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions and listen to our other great podcasts. Those who live in Las Vegas can listen to us over the radio at the all-new Magic 97.9 FM, KIOF LP Las Vegas.